eBay friends, you have landed on episode number 143 of eBay the Right Way. Today's date is December 13th, 2023, and my guest is Will in Michigan. No announcements this week, so we will go straight into the chat with Will. Welcome back, listeners. I have Will with us today, and he actually reached out to me, um, a brave soul that wanted to be on the podcast to talk about some things that he sold and what he's doing, because I have seen your sales and they are quite unique and um, unusual items. So let's start off with where you're located. So I'm located in the village of Ortonville, and that's about 40 miles northwest of Detroit or 20 miles southeast of Oh, another Michigander. Yes. It sounds like you have a lot of those on the show. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So yes. um, we should have like a competition between the states, like which state is going to have the most guests on this podcast? Yes. Because yes. <laughs> yes. I think Texas is way up there. Um, and then just... You know, maybe Florida. Florida, I hear a lot of Florida too. Just, but that's great because you know maybe you might find a kindred eBay spirit in your area that you can connect with and that kind of thing. Because I do, I do see comments on the Facebook group when I post it there, like, "Oh, yeah, another person in my state." (laughs) Right, right, right. Okay, Um, so now we know where you are. how did you get started with eBay and you know what was the catalyst that brought you there? Sure. So I've had uh, an eBay buyer's account since probably the mid or early 2000s. Um, but as far as selling goes, I didn't attempt to sell anything on eBay until a couple of years ago. Um, and I would just sell kind of random things I'd find at uh, thrift stores and things like that. And it was very small time. And to be honest, I didn't take it serious enough. And I kind of damaged my account to where you know I, the feedback wasn't great. So then this year, I, uh, I kind of just started fresh. I opened a new account about seven or eight months ago, and I uh, decided to treat it as like a business, you know, so I'm putting forth my best effort as far as like packaging, shipping on time, uh, communication, all that stuff, trying to maintain my 100% uh, feedback there. And uh, this time it's gone pretty well. Um, you know, the hard part is sourcing, sourcing the items at a price that I can make a profit. That's the struggle, I think. But um, this go around has gone pretty well. And like I said, it's been about seven months or so with this new account. And I have uh, over 100 sales now currently. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons you reached out. You're like, I'm kind of new, but it's really rolling along well. And, um, you know, some people decline coming on this podcast because they feel like they haven't been doing it long enough or their sales aren't that great. But it's really more about just the lifestyle and how we're drawn to this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. we have that uh, reselling in our DNA. And so we're kind of like a unique tribe and we just, yeah. we just need to stick together and support each other because as many people as are out there doing this, um, it's really not all that understood by no, no, no. the average person on the street. And, and, you know, you're in these groups on Facebook, there's thousands and thousands of members, but in reality, we're kind of a rare breed, you know, yep. it's just yep. not, there's not a lot of us, um, or maybe we just don't know, we're just walking around, you know, yeah. sleepwalking through life and passing other resellers and we just don't know it. Right, right, right. <laughs> but it is good to um, have a fresh perspective from a newer seller because right. There have been guests on this podcast, been doing this since eBay started. And then people like you that they're like, hey, I'm going to try this. What's this all about? And yeah. I, um, as far as the listeners, there are enough and you know, plenty of them that haven't even started and they're a little apprehensive. So I like to um, showcase people like you that, yeah, just jumped in with two feet and and you're doing great. So, yeah, yeah. I wanted to make some extra side money and instead of getting a uh, part-time, you know, boring, laborious, laborious job, uh, I thought I'd try to resell stuff. Then I can do whatever I find interesting. You know, I can find the items that I find interesting to sell as long as I can make a profit on them. And uh, this first go around, the first item that I sold on this new account, you're at an estate sale on a Sunday, so everything's half off. 
we got a um my wife actually found it It was a chess set a low chess set from the 40s i believe i paid 15 bucks for it and that day it sold for like 250 dollars you know right away and that's not typical they're not all like that but i was like man this is really something here i think if you know if i put my best foot forward i could really make something happen with this and you know some a lot smaller ticket items as well but that was the first item that really got us going and just go around yeah and I see people getting hooked on eBay two ways. The first is what you just said. You just jump in and you get this big sale and you're like, whoa, yeah. what if this happened every day? Yeah. You start doing the math and looking at the dollars. And, yeah. and then there's others that um, it's just the consistent sales. You know, they see the consistency of it. Yeah. And, and then start playing with the numbers. Well, if I make, you know, $20 sale every day. Here's what I could have at the end of the month. And, right, right. Uh, you know, this, that's your, your reward system for doing right. the work is when the sales come in. So you're one of those that, that got hooked by a big sale. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the hard part is to, uh, to stick, stick through the lulls, stick through the ebbs and flows, you know, cause it comes and goes. And especially, uh, there is an algorithm to eBay. They, uh, they want you to fall into their algorithm and then they push your stuff up higher to the search. Um, but you got to persevere when you don't have a few sales. You know, if you don't go a few days without a sale, I've gone even, you know, recently I go a couple days without having a sale and I'll have a day where I have five sales. So you kind of got to just push through that and, you know, get through the little nickel and dime stuff. And then you get to the big ones eventually, you know, because you become more knowledgeable in all those areas with each sale, even if they're not uh, highly productive, you, you've still learned something. Okay, well, this item is not going to, you know, a high dollar, you know. So working through that is uh, important, you know, persevering through that. I think a lot of people get discouraged if they go a week without a sale. I mean, it, it is what it is. You got to relist, um, you know, change photos. You got to do what, you know, people like you suggest to do. A lot of your suggestions have worked, you know. Great. Um, you just got to push through the, uh, the, the valleys. It's the peaks. Yeah, you just have to know that th this is temporary. The lull yes. is temporary. And yes. even me, after all these years, sometimes I'll go two days without a sale. And I'm like, oh, is eBay over? Is it not going to work anymore? <laughs> Am I never going to sell anything again? And then I have to stop myself and say, okay, what's I'm going to try to guess what the next item is it's going to sell. Sure. What's it going to be? Is it going to be clothing? Is it going to be a Christmas ornament? You know, and I try to get into like looking for that. What's the next sale that's going to happen instead yeah. of I'm not going to give it anymore because it is so easy to fall into that. Right. Yeah. I heard um, an eBay seller had a trick. Uh, she would go to her death pile and touch an item, just touch it, and it would always sell. And you know, last night that happened to us. My wife touched a. Uh, it's a New York City strap hanger it's a handle from an old subway car and uh, i got in an online estate sale and my wife touched it yesterday she goes what's this i explained it to her and 20 minutes later it sells <laughs> i'm sitting on it for a while and it's uh you know i don't know if it's good juju or what but it sounds like it worked that time <laughs> i think that's happened to me before well i'll be in my ebay inventory room pulling yeah. things to ship and i'll see something i'm like oh when is that ever going to sell or yeah. I'll move it around and then it sells that day or the next day. And I don't know if it's like the power of intention. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. It's something. Know, but just putting that out to the universe of like, okay, I'm ready for this to go to its new home. Yes. Yes. But that has happened to me a few times. And then you're yep. like, I'm going back there. I'm just going to touch everything. <laughs> <laughs> the whole shop. That. <laughs> so um, oh, I wanted to ask you. Um, so eBay is part-time for you. Yes, yes. And so do you have a regular job on the Yeah, yes. I work in the sign industry. I've been a sign fabricator for about 10 years or so. Uh the last two or three years I strictly paint, you know, the same way that you'd paint a car with a spray gun. I paint big large signs uh that go all over town, all over the country. Um and that's what I do as my nine. So for example, it's not billboards. It could be billboards, it could oh, okay. be it's really anything. If you see like illuminated letters that are outside of everywhere. Uh, we do all that. Those are called channel letters, uh, monument signs. You know, if you, you know, big giant sign that's stuck in the ground that uh, says Oakland Mall or whatever, you know, things like that. Just various types, you know, it could be plastic, aluminum, metal, wood, you know, really the, the whole spectrum. Of okay. 
So when you are working, are you at one location all day and yeah, currently, around yeah, my, different locations? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I've had jobs where I've done installations where I'm out on the road all day, but the last couple of years or so, I've been uh, in a in a shop in the paint booth all day, every day, listening okay. to your podcasts. <laughs> um, you know, some people that have jobs where they're moving around all day, you know, they work in the thrift stores to, oh, yeah. I'm going to be over on that road. I'm going to drop by there after I'm done with my work. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's smart to do. But um, where do you get your items to sell? Sure. So the hard part is getting physically getting to the thrift stores, garage sales, estate sales. Um, I've recently learned to work with the online auctions or that you're not a huge fan of those. You kind of got to be diligent when they're coming down to the wire. And uh, like you said, you might lose out on some of those items, but I can't physically be at uh, at the places that I need to be. So I've had to rely on these and they've, they've been pretty pretty well. Not all of them are great, but... Uh, and then that uh, gives you the opportunity to purchase things from around the country, not just locally. You're going to pay a little bit extra in shipping and whatnot, but if it makes it worth it, 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 it works out. But... Uh, I would love to just do garage sales, but here in Michigan, it's it's winter for six months and nobody has garage sales. Um, and then the thrift stores have kind of upped their prices. They kind of know what they got. They cherry pick the good items. So that's been more and more difficult. Uh, the estate sales have worked out when I can physically make it to them because then you, know, you can haggle a little bit. You can uh, do some research on items that you see in the photos, You know, especially some of the websites if you're using the sale websites they have some photos you can do some research before you go there um but so yeah several uh those several uh ways of sorting state sales garage sales online auctions and every once in a blue moon marketplace but i haven't had uh i've had luck in the past you know years ago i was a big craigslist and marketplace guy but um lately i don't i don't get any sales on marketplace i can't find any good items on marketplace that are reasonably priced so I, I very seldom search there for, for items. Once in a blue moon, I do. Okay. Okay. And we are recording this on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And um, I asked if you were sacrificing your um, your inventory treasure hunting today. And you said that you went to some estate sales on Black Friday. Yes. Yes. And, Yesterday, yeah. I, went, I went out to a town called Fenton, which is right near me. And... Um, I got some cool stuff there. I got an old war book, an old Ohio war book, um, and some other items. I got a, a different estate sale. I got one of those uh, standing globes with the pre- semi-precious stones in it. That's going to be a big pain to chip, but I'll figure it out. Um, and a couple other small, small items that I got. Well, okay, so let's go back to things you've sold because um, I thought you were a lot older because the kinds of things you sell are more. Um, historical, and yeah, yeah, really just vintage, but they're like historical. So, um, what else you got on your list? Yeah, so um, recent, recently, the interesting sales was the, the New York City subway hanger that I was telling you about. Um, I got a Civil War cartridge box plate. I got that in an online auction that recently sold. I had also some Civil War documents, and then the war medals was pretty big. It was a local estate sale. And uh, it was a shadow box full of war medals. And I couldn't very uh, hardly read them, but I, I got them for, you know, 27 bucks, I think, the whole lot. And one of them had that uh, Butte Miners Union ribbon in it, which I couldn't believe once I searched, searched the comps on it. I, there was a comp on there for like $700. I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list mine for five. And uh, 10, 15 minutes later, it sells for full asking price to a man in Alaska. And I just like, I couldn't believe it, you know. Um I've had a couple of 48 star flags recently, some Coors Light signs. Uh, one of the, and then one of these estate sales had some very strange items. Uh, one of which was a, an armless actress photo. It's armless Frances O'Connor. And she was in a movie called freaks in the 1920s. And, uh, she was a sideshow performer and she would do various things with her feet as smoke cigarettes and drink martinis and stuff. But <laughs> I, I found a, uh, an autographed photo of her, which I found to be interesting because she autographed it with her feet, obviously. And um, so I purchased that. And then also that same estate sale, uh, a man had gone to school with Jack Kevorkian, who's Dr. Death. Uh, I and they saw had, that. They had him in a yearbook. And then there were also some childhood photos that they couldn't verify that I was interested in. But I, I, I let those go. But the yearbook was really special. And then it, ironically, about a week later in an online auction, I almost won a University of Michigan yearbook that would have had him in it as well. 
but I lost out on it. But uh, yeah, so that was uh, one of the uh, some of the more interesting items that I've seen. So, recently. how much did those things sell for? So, the, the Jack of Working yearbook, I didn't make huge profit on it. I paid $50 for it and I sold it for $100. Um, the Armless Woman photo, I really didn't make a lot of money on, but it was just so cool I had to have it. I paid $80 for it and I sold it for $100. So, not a huge profit, but um, very interesting to me. So, if I could make a couple bucks off it, and then I like to appreciate these items. You know, the Civil War stuff is a uh, a newly found hobby of mine. And uh, I just like to have the relics and and hang on to them, show them to my child, show them to my wife, and then sell them, you know, let them go to their final resting place in the collector. But uh, I get to enjoy them for time being. And I find that to be very interesting. And that is um, hmm, civil war stuff up there in Michigan. It's hard. That's I got to get it all online because uh, there's not a lot of it up here. All right. Comes you, from don't, Virginia. you don't think about that as, you know, active Civil War area. It's, it's right. more stuff around the Mason-Dixon line. Um, yep. I'm always looking for that um, down here in the South. And yeah. kind of like we talked a little bit before we started recording, it's, you know, you get to these estate sales and and they just want too much, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. Like I <laughs> yeah, told the second one I went to cool, yesterday. It was crazy. Cool item, but I'm not paying that for it. Yeah. And, you know, then you have to try to go back on another day when it's um, the prices are discounted and it might not be there. So, but I think what you're doing with at least buying these items and selling them, not at a great profit, but that's how you're learning. Right, right, right. And that's what's tough, especially with the Civil War items. A lot of them are counterfeit or faked. And uh, luckily, I haven't been burned too bad on that yet. But uh it, it, it's nice to have held some real relics that I can use to compare to in the future, you know, and uh, that's, that's a part of it is just learning what's what and what are things supposed to look like. Um, and that's with anything really, especially with historic items. Such. Can you elaborate on the fake civil war items? Like yeah. what kind of things are they faking and how are they doing it? Yeah. So they'll take like, I uh, never would have thought of that. Yeah, it was a big thing, especially in like the mid 1900s. Uh, they would take like belt buckles, you know, maybe they would take an original belt buckle and cast it and then uh, and then leave it in the dirt or Clorox bleach. They they have ways to patina, fake patina them, and then they would resell them. So um, one of the, I have a, several Civil War groups on Facebook have been very helpful. Before I buy something, I'll share it to them and say, hey, what do you guys think? And they'll usually give me some pretty good information on that. But uh, even sword. Uh, swords and daggers and things like that they could be counterfeited as well or um you know maybe not period also you know there will be a, a model 1860 sword so you think it was used during 1860 and on but no really it was issued in uh 1870 or 1880 so it doesn't make it technically civil war era which is still it's still interesting but you know it, it makes it not that you know so uh becoming more knowledgeable and you know what what equipment was issued when uh, is going to be helpful. You know, the more I learn that, the, the better it's going to be. And uh, so th- those are mostly the things that are that are faked. It's like old war relics and things of that set. Yeah, we had um, Lynn. Uh, she's up in New England and she does the metal detecting. Yeah. Do you hear that podcast? No, I don't think I have. Okay. I'm real um, into metal detecting. I haven't gone and done it, but I've I can um, send you the link to that. But sure you know that's something that people may not think about is is yeah. all this stuff can be right under the surface of yep. the dirt yeah you go around these battlefields and yeah. you know uh places where there were medical camps or whatever right. and um they're finding this stuff you know under the ground coins um metals just buttons, medical yeah. stuff buttons yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like um it's, there's plenty of it still out there. And, you know, then people would bury their valuables so that who, whichever side, you know, yeah. could find them, you know, right, right. That, like in Gone with the Wind and stuff where they're burying right. silver, right. Well, the book, not in the movie. But um, yeah, they and um, and then either those people died and they never dug it up or they forgot where it was or whatever the situation. And it's just who knows what is still out there yet to be discovered. Right, right. Uh, that's pretty cool. Okay, um, what else do you have on your list? Yeah, so uh, other, you know, more run-of-the-mill items, I, I suppose. Uh, 
I was at a Goodwill. I was actually on the way home from picking up items from an estates or uh, an online auction where I bought two uh, like shop furnaces. It the bidding was ending and nobody had bid on them, so I won these two natural gas shop furnaces for five bucks. So I was on my way back from picking those up. I had no room in the car, and uh, I was I passed by a Goodwill that I know has some good stuff sometimes. So I stopped in there. And they had a wheelchair and it was not a standard wheelchair. It was like one that you'd play basketball in, you know, for, um, you know, an athlete. Very fancy. I can tell that it was real fancy. And I did the comps on it and they were brand new, $2,500. And they wanted 30 bucks for it. So I said, whatever I got to do to fit it in the car, I'm doing. I paid 30 bucks for it. And it took a minute to sell, maybe a month or two to sell. But I did end up selling it for $500 on eBay. And I was able to... A Gaylord box from work. I kind of cut it down into a couple of clamshells and uh, sandwiched them together, and it was packaged very nicely and shipped it to Florida with no issues. And did you ship it UPS? It was UPS. That was the cheapest. Yep. Okay. Any larger items, UPS seems to always be the cheapest. You know, I don't know that it's always going to be that way, but uh, any big thing I ever have to send is UPS is typically the best. Do you remember how much it costs to ship it? Um, I believe it was under a hundred dollars. Okay. Under a hundred dollars. Yeah. I want to say it was like 80 bucks. It was like $80 to ship it, but you know, that shipping through eBay and they give you a bit of a discount. So if it was just a regular shipment, it probably would have cost more than that. And but, you uh, did uh, the customer paid shipping, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you don't know, no, you know, and this typically I do have the customers pay shipping, but if it's a large ticket item that I didn't pay a whole lot for, I will try to configure that into the price. And I believe that is what I did there. So I think I did eat the eighty dollars of cost on that, but like I said, I paid thirty dollars for it. So to me, the like the three hundred that I profited was huge, you know. Yeah, yeah. But typically, I do charge uh, shipping. Larger ticket stuff, I'm like, well, I'll just build that into the price there and uh, try to be competitive in that aspect. And sometimes that works. Out. Okay. Yep. Okay. Oh, one other surprising item was um, another online auction. They had a couple of these things listed. It was just a. Uh, it said. It said pump for a chemical sprayer, and there was no markings on it. There was nothing to denote what it was. Uh, the same thing, I paid five bucks for two of them, and I took them home, and I uh, shared a photo of it to one of the Michigan agricultural pages, and somebody instantly told me what it was, and what it was is like a, it's a degreaser and pressure filler, like a body shop or an automotive shop or something like that. So I listed them. Uh, First one sold for a hundred bucks same day. So somebody must have had that saved as a search. Um, they bought it right away for a hundred dollars. So then the next one I listed for 140 and it took a little bit longer to sell, about a month. And uh that one sold for 140 bucks also. So it went from somebody not even knowing what it was, uh, me taking a chance on it, and uh it, it really worked out now that aspect. I mean, you're you're just rolling right along with this. Yeah, there's all regular stuff too. And what am I my biggest issue is finding like consistency. Like if I could just it video games like cheaply uh at the same place that would be ideal because it's it's unreal how fast video games of any kind any system any age as soon as you list it you'll immediately start to get views when some of my items will take a day to start getting a couple of views so it's just astonishing how quickly video games sell but we'll know what they're worth and everyone else is after them um, so then, and that's another thing that I try to do. I see what everyone else is after. They're all after the rock and roll t-shirts, the vintage t-shirts. I mean, they, they fight over them in the stores. You guys can have that. I'm going to go find the weird, obscure stuff that I think I can make money on. And typically that works, you know, like stuff that people will never even think of. Uh, you know, there was like a horse saddle. One of these, uh, online auctions had a horse saddle. And even my wife was like, why are you buying a freaking horse saddle? And I was like, just you got to trust the process. You got to trust the process. And I, I paid 20 for it and I sold it for 125 on eBay. So excellent. Just uh, random things like that. It'll catch my eye. And I, I say to myself, that might be valuable. And then I do the research, you know, the internet. That's the one good thing about it is that, uh, you know, the Google lens and even the eBay searches, from the photos, it really it's a it's a wonderful tool to be able to figure out what you have quickly and if it's profitable. Um, let's go back to the video games because um, that's a category that I am overwhelmed by. Yeah. <laughs> I do see them in Goodwill, and they're with the um, you know the DVDs, and they're in one of those racks where it's like just a whole bunch of white cases. You know, I guess those are um, Wii games or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
So do you know that category very well? Do you know I what like I used to be more in touch with the video game stuff. I haven't had a system in many years, so that I, I am a bit out of touch with that. But what I have found is that like almost every system, even all the way down to like PlayStation 2, which is like very early on, it, it all sells. You know, if you get a console, the, the, the other thing is making sure it works. You buy a console, you got to be able to test it because they don't always work. Um, and the games, if you can get them cheap enough, like uh, yesterday, I bought ten uh, random PlayStation Two games for fifty cents a piece. You, know, you almost can't go wrong because then somebody's got a PS Two out there, and if, even if they pay three bucks a piece for them, you know you're still, you know, making a, a good profit on it. So, I would say that even if you're not knowledgeable, if you can get the stuff cheap enough, take a chance on it. That's what I would say, and it doesn't take up much space, you know, especially video games. Uh, DVDs, I kind of stay away from because there's particular ones that are worth money uh, vhs is I, I really stay away from because a couple that i've bought there's just done nothing uh video games as obscure and old as they might seem if you can get them for 50 cents or a buck i would i would always buy them okay yeah and the vhs now they've got all that encapsulating where it's um for for the listeners like it's inside a hard plastic case where it's really only being purchased for, um, you know, look at it. You're not actually going to play it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Some of those, um, that's a whole thing now. And th those are being graded. And it's like yes. baseball cards, you yes. know, um, or coins where it's a yep. very specialized knowledge. Yep. And, you know, I do find myself looking at, oh, here's all these, here's all these VHS tapes. And, you know, they'll look like they're shrink wrapped, but then you look at the bottom and it just falls right out. like. They've yeah. oh, they've left the shrink wrap on there, but the bottom has been opened. Right. So you know, if I ever find one that is still in the shrink wrap, like never opened, I might look that up. But yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, based on my personal research, because I was trying to figure that out. I'm like, I see these all the time, so I need to. I want to figure out which ones to buy, and it's it's the horror movies. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Do you know anything about that? Uh, I don't think I have purchased any horror movies. I recently got some old WWE, uh, some old wrestling videos that would have been from my time. Uh, they haven't sold yet. I don't think I've sold a single VHS that I have listed, maybe a couple of them that I've listed, uh, but but none of them have sold, that's for sure. So I kind of just stay away from that stuff. I got burned on the the, the Black Diamond Disney stuff. I got a box oh, yeah. of those. I got a box of those somewhere, and I just uh, realized that that's not worth anything. So... It kind of burned me, and I kind of stay away from that stuff. Uh, one interesting thing that you can kind of find at uh, thrift stores is, like, rap or hip-hop CDs, you know, like 90s and 2000s. If you can get those for 50 cents or a buck a piece, they sell like crazy. I, I don't know why, but they uh, they still sell pretty well. Okay, let me just speak to the Disney Black Diamond for people that don't know this. Um and it, it's along the lines of the, the Beanie Babies, too. You'll yes. go online and you'll look it up and you'll look on eBay like, oh, this, you know, Cinderella sold for $10,000. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to look for this and I've got one of those and I'm going to sell it. And so what it is, uh, there's two things going on. It could be your basic money laundering. That's what I think. Put something up for sale and then your buddy buys it like this is all a scam that's all these people working together in a ring behind yep. the scenes and they're they're money laundering they're they're taking their dirty money from drugs or whatever yep. and buying something like that on ebay just to make it clean money so it comes yep. back to them in their account the other thing is that people who actually do sell these have yet again another ring of people who bid on them bid up the prices yep. and then never pay for it. I see. Um, and just to run the prices up so that they can fool the market like and sell theirs for a higher price. So it's yep. not really uh money laundering, but it is still like a I would consider that criminal because they're kind of gaming the system there for sure. Yeah, they're gaming the system to to yep. raise the prices on the soul yep. so that theirs will look more valuable. So yep. that goes on with other products too, but the two biggest, especially for new people that see that, you know, this Beanie Baby sold $1,000. I got a box of Beanie Babies too. And and I don't know why it's those two items, I guess, because they're very common. People have them, um, but that's been going on for 
10 or 15 years. Yep. And um, so just for the listeners, when you see something like that and you can't figure out why it's selling for so much. Now, a lot of vintage items do sell for a lot, but you want to look at your completed listings, maybe going back two years on Terapeak, and you want to look for a lot of different sellers. You want to look for consistency over time. You, you want to look at the pattern of things. Yes. Um, so sometimes you really do find something that can be worth thousands like that, but it's it's not going to be the Beanie Babies and the Disney Black Diamond. That's that's not that's not real. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean yes. it's real. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Luckily, I only got burned on a few Beanie Babies, but yesterday I don't know why, but I my compulsions, I guess I found I found a a Princess Diana Beanie Baby, and I know that's supposed to be the most rare, the most expensive. Yeah, and it was some two dollars. Really do sell for a lot, right? It, it was two bucks. Uh, in the case, it was really good shape. So I was like, whatever, it's coming with me. And, uh, I started to go list it. There's one on there for like $8,000. And I'm like, I don't think I'll ever get anything for it, but, uh, it sucked me in yesterday. Luckily I didn't spend too much on it. Okay. Yeah. Good. So newbie lesson learned, right? Yes. Um, no, no VHS, no Disney VHS is a no beanie babies. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's usually something very common that you just can't figure out like, why would that sell for so much? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, so video games. Um, are there certain, is that Zelda one still really um, coveted? I believe so. I, I think any any of those big names, Zelda, Mario, things like that. And it doesn't have to be just video games. It could be like video game related uh, memorabilia. Like I sold a Zelda backpack that wasn't anything that I thought was special, but it was cheap and it sold for like 40 bucks. I got that from the thrift store. Um, but uh, really anything with like a major name attached to it, especially like Zelda or, uh, you know, Mario or the old school, like, you know, things of that nature, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said, I'm not an expert in that. I've just seen that when I do purchase those things that they sell so quickly, you know, I had a, a PS3, I think a gaming system and a whole bunch of games that stuff sells in a half hour. You, as soon as you list it, as soon as you list it, it sells. But it's hard to find that stuff at a reasonable price where you can make a profit because everybody knows how quickly it sells and everybody knows that you know, it's in demand. Do you think people are actually playing these games? or is it I do, I do. I, and I didn't think so because when I was a kid, once a, a system became obsolete, it was uh, you would never purchase games for the older system. But I think nowadays people... Uh, they they enjoy playing the, the PlayStation 1 that they had when they were a kid. And they go, you know, I'm going to get, I think I'm going to grab some PS, PS1 games and sit around this weekend and play the console that I remember playing as a kid. That has become more prevalent, I think. And uh, then maybe just um, economically, you know, maybe some people can't afford the newest system and they're they're playing with a PS2 or a PS3, but then they still want as many games as they can get. They can afford to, to buy the games. And uh, I think that helps, you know, the market as well. Then you get into like the older stuff, Sega Genesis and, uh, you know, the, the original Nintendos and stuff. Those are really uh, millennials who are trying to like obtain their nostalgia. You know, they're trying to relive their childhood. Like you said, buying back your childhood, I believe. And uh, I think that's what's going on there. Okay. Can I ask you what year you were born? 1987. Okay. Okay. So you're a little bit ahead of my kids. Yeah. Um, but you weren't. <laughs> You're you weren't in the um, age of Atari. <laughs> no, not quite. But I also wasn't in the age of like the Internet either. I don't I almost don't like being called a millennial because I, we didn't have the Internet until uh, like I was in high school, you know, so like I lived right. my childhood Internet free. Um, OK, but yeah. So about that time. OK, yeah, because um, I was born in 66. And so okay. in the uh, or mid seventies, maybe the Atari came out and it yeah. was like Pong and all these extremely, um, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Rudimentary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure, gaming sure. stuff. It's like black and white. Yeah. There's like this one sound. Yeah. Um, people who know this will be laughing right now. They're like, yeah, we had that. We thought we were so cool with our <laughs> Atari that yeah. didn't really do anything <laughs> by yeah. standards. And then they started coming out with more, uh, like, color and different games and there was one game i played i think it was called stampede and you had the you're roping cattle and it just kept getting harder and harder and then there was one with this 
I think it was like circus or it was a clown that was bouncing on a teeter totter thing and you bounce him up really high and try to um, poke out the colors at the top. Um, I would just be sucked into that for hours, you know, and then of course asteroids and Pac-Man and all that stuff. Um, But just thinking back to what, how technology has changed. And then my kids were into the, um, it was PlayStation and then, you know, the Wii and um, then the stuff online. And, you know, I remember my kids in, in middle school, they knew like cars, they knew like, the logos of Toyota and infinity and like all the, we'd be driving down the road and that's a BMW and that's just, and, and logos that didn't have any letters in it. I'm uh-huh. like, how do y'all know this? And they're like, Oh, grand theft auto. Yes. And, yes. and then now as adults are telling me, um, mom, you never should have let us play that game. It was not for <laughs> kids. It was their profanity and all this stuff. And I'm like, I just was glad y'all were happy and entertaining yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> And they would laugh and they were having a big time, you know, but yeah, yeah, I didn't supervise that one very well, but they did learn all these car logos. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big uh, Grand Theft Auto fan as well, but uh, not much of a gamer anymore. Yeah, and then my son got into RuneScape. Okay. It's like a medieval thing. Oh, okay. And I I know I've told this before, but I'm going to tell it again because it just blew my mind, like, he was playing that. And then one day he's like, mom, um, can I have some money sent to your PayPal account? And then you can give it to me. And I'm like, what are you doing up there? What, you know, I did, I had no idea what he was involved in. I was like, what's he doing? And he was making these RuneScape accounts and building up, you know, the treasures and all the stuff. So the account would be established. And then he was selling them to adults. He was like 10 years old. Oh my gosh. And, and he would sell the he wanted to sell the established account to these, you know, adults so they could just jump right in and start playing. And I see. I just I thought that was genius. I'm like, here's this kid who is good at this game and he's figured out a way to monetize. Yeah, it. yeah. He's watching me buy things and resell them. And yeah, so he yeah. figured that out. And yeah, I mean, he made all kinds of money and we just put it in his account. And That's then awesome. when he was old enough to drive and stuff. He had some money, but um, yeah, I was like, yeah, I guess I, I didn't supervise them very well. (laughs) (laughs) It turned out just fine. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, he turned out fine, but it was like, wow, what an entrepreneurial idea for a 10 year old. It's like way better than a lemonade stand. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that's cool. Okay. So back to you. Um, You've got your video games, you've dabbled in the VHS. Um, what other kinds of things do you look for? Yeah. So one thing, one item that, uh, that consistently sells every time, and I'm not sure why is uh, chess sets of varying sizes, qualities, prices. Uh, everyone seems to love chess. I don't even know how to play chess, but everyone seems to love it. So every time I'm at a garage sale and I see a chess set, I always buy it and they always sell. I'm currently sitting on a chess set that is, uh, at an online auction for about 25 bucks, I believe. And it's a uh, an Italian made alabaster stone chess set from Hudson. Still has a sticker on it and everything. So it's probably from the forties or fifties, maybe a little bit later. And uh, that that's worth a lot of money. So I'm asking, I think two fifty for it or three hundred bucks. Um, but I'm confident that it will sell once I find the right buyer. But I've sold little, you know, ten dollar chess sets as well. They're just for some reason they're just like the video games. They're just very consistent sellers. And you're finding these all over yeah like uh the last i i got a went to a garage sale and i picked up five different chess sets they were like kind of wooden that opened up with like a maybe a mirror top on them and stuff and they were really cheap like two dollars a piece i bought all five of them those all five of those have since sold and then uh the last two that i got were just in an online auction so like if i'm if i find a couple items in this auction and then I win the items. You got to kind of make it worth my while. So then I'll just start to see, I'll, I'll follow it live. And okay, this item's coming up next. Do some research. And then I might buy some stuff that I wasn't necessarily aiming to buy, but I'm trying to make it worth my trip to go pick the stuff up or if it's being shipped. Uh, you know, so those, those couple of chess sets I got, a, I, it was another Civil War chess set as well. It's got a Life magazine or Time magazine, Civil War guide pieces and stuff like that. I'm sitting on those two chess sets currently, but those are going to be higher ticket. Well, um, 
so yeah, it was just something that like, and like I said, the very first one that my wife found at that estate sale, like I almost had her put it back. I was like, man, nobody's buying chess sets. Uh, but we took it home and took pictures of it. And apparently it was, uh, it was butterscotch and Bakelite red. And that's what made it valuable. The bake light. Yeah, that that yep. butterscotch. It really does look like butterscotch. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I believe is what made it so valuable because I have other low chess sets of the same years and stuff, and they're not uh they weren't nearly as valuable. So but yeah, it's very consistent though. Every time I get a chess set, video games, they sell all the time. Do you um ever look at the Money Making Mondays threads on the Facebook group and yes. see okay, so yep. Did you see the backgammon game that KC sold? No, I didn't see um, that. Maybe that was before you came along, but it was just, I think it was just the pieces. Wow. Uh, the little discs that um, were Bakelite, Butterscotch, and, and yeah. several hundred dollars just for the pieces. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is for some reason. I'm not sure what makes that stuff so valuable. but Well, it, what it, makes so it valuable often. is it was only made for a short time. Okay. Um, it's actually pronounced Bakelite. Okay. And it was this um, material that um, they made like telephones out of it. They made jewelry. And it, I think it has formaldehyde in it. It's like ah. a toxic. So they quit making it. But okay. um, there's all these different tests you can do for it. Like you rub it really hard and get it hot and you can smell the formaldehyde. You can run it under hot water. There's, um, there's uh, certain things. I think 409 is the cleaner. You put it on a Q-tip and just rub it on there and it turns to a different color. And you can Google that like to test. Obviously, you can't do this at an estate sale. Right, right, Except right. for the rubbing it and smelling it. But it will, it smells like, you know, when you're in science class in high school and you're dissecting something that for smell. Yeah. But it's, it's just very collectible because it was only made for a few years and it's representative of that time in history. I think it was around the forties. Don't yeah. quote on that. Um, but yeah, that's what makes it valuable is um, they just made for a short time, like a lot of other um, plastics and resins and stuff like that. It's, it's has historical value. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I learned something. I, I wasn't, I didn't know why or what that's uh, it's very interesting to know. I'll want to keep that in mind. Another thing you taught me is uh, ephemera. You know, I didn't know what to call these historical paper products that I was picking up, but now I've got a name for them and it makes me sound fancy when I say it. So that's nice. You know, I'll, I'll get old postcards or old, uh, you know, just scrapbooks. I found a very obscure scrapbook of the Dion Quince. I'm sure nobody even knows. I didn't even know. Oh, I know. I saw that movie. And so I didn't know. Like, I yeah, still don't know nothing about him. But I paid, uh, it was at a, a big, uh, I don't know, like an outdoor sale, like a flea market type of deal. It was like a buck. And the guy I was with is like, what the heck are you buying that for? And I said, there's some old lady out there somewhere who remembers these people and they're going to want this. And it was a massive scrapbook. Like, newspaper clippings and postcards and it was like maybe somebody who was related to them or something but uh it just sold the other day i, I would put it up for auction because i wasn't sure uh you know what it would be and somebody paid 10 bucks for it so it connects my yeah, money that is a fascinating story they were in canada and this lady just she had five babies yeah and they didn't think they would live and they put them in the oven overnight like oh my god really low like to keep them warm you know yeah. Um, cause she didn't know what to do. And then they became pretty much a sideshow. Um, the doctor yep. turned them into a sideshow yep. where yep. they were at carnivals and fairs and like, because it was before, I think it was in the forties, maybe probably um, before child labor laws. You know, it was and such. before all this, um, for, you know, in vitro and it was way, you know, this was a natural quintuplets it just oh, happened wow. and they were a poor farming family in Canada. And, um, yeah, then they were pretty much exploited for their yeah, um, right. being quints because yeah. that's what people don't see very often back then. So, right. yeah, that's a cool story. And so this was a scrapbook about them. It was a huge scrapbook, newspaper clippings and postcards. And uh, it was a lot of stuff about that doctor. And that's any information I do have is from a little bit of the readings that I did in the scrapbook. But like I said, the guy I was with was like, man, you're weird for buying that stuff, man. But uh, no, I, I knew somebody would want it. I didn't know if it'd be very profitable, but I knew somebody out there was going to be interested in it. 
It's the unusual. Like yes. you're probably never going to see that again. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, what other ephemera you got? Um, so currently I have a bunch of old postcards. Um, there I've, instead of doing them in a lot, I was trying to do them individually and uh, those haven't really moved. They're so interesting because a lot, a lot of them are handwritten and you can kind of like decipher what they're saying. And, uh, you know, back in like the fifties or forties, it's just so cool to see, uh, them telling their messages, sending messages to people across the country. And, uh, they try to fit so much information on that card because that was the whole message they would get. And, uh, you know, things of that nature. And then also like civil war documents, civil war letters, uh, or poetry or drawings, uh, those can be valuable, but they're also hard to find at a reasonable price. Um, old newspapers. I've got a couple old newspapers from world war II. uh, Old war photos. I've got like some negatives from uh, Pearl Harbor, like official U.S. Navy negatives, which I think it's cool. I don't think it qualifies camera, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's in that category. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And then I just love the way that that stuff is uh, can be valuable to the right buyer. It's kind of objective almost as far as value goes on the piece, and then it's super easy to ship. You know, sometimes I, I, I'm willing to take on the task of shipping a large item, but it's much easier to slide a piece of paper into an envelope and send it on its way, you know? So that's one nice thing. It doesn't take up a lot of space either. How many items do you have listed right now? Uh, currently, I have like 130. Um, I'm aiming to be at 200 by the end of the year, but it seems like every time I... And I try to do consistent... I'm trying to be consistent like three, four items a day, but that doesn't always happen, you know? Um, but I'm trying to get to 200 items. And that for me right now currently is uh, manageable. I, I don't want to have a 1,000, 2,000 items that I have no idea where they're at or I need like some sophisticated system to keep track of. So if I can... Uh, keep it at, you know, 150, 200 items, but those items are, you know, more valuable. That's the business model that I'd like to stick with. Yeah. It'll take some time to get there because you're figuring things out, but um, the recurring theme of this podcast is, you know, those of us that are trying to get to that higher profit level and then you see stuff and it's like, oh, I've sold that before. I know that'll sell. And, you know, it's, it's just a dollar and I can sell it for 20 and it's just, it's just easy and it's, it's easy to ship. And, um, that's me with, um, hats, baseball hats and, um, you know, like beanie hats, you know, the knit hats, those all the time for $20 and up. And they're just, they're small and easy and lightweight. And they, I'm looking for that monster energy hat. That's going to sell for a hundred dollars, but, um, you know, gloves and, I'm, I am more meticulous about choosing, but um, sometimes you just you just know and it's like, ah, I really like stuff that sells for 50 or more. But this is yeah. so easy. I'm not going to leave it behind. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, Clothing is not something I do a whole lot of because I, I have a closet full of clothing over here. Uh, sh- some uh, Harley shirts, some Hawaiian shirts, a mod cloth uh, coat. It's just so difficult to uh, photograph. I, I feel that I need, would need to buy a mannequin to properly photograph it because if you lay it on the floor, you can you can catch all of its details, but it just doesn't look as nice as if you were to have a mannequin. And uh, so I find the clothing just to be kind of a pain to picture and list, um, and I'm not so knowledgeable in it. So that's not something that I always go for unless it's like a uh, like an original single stitch T-shirt. I recently sold a Corvette T-shirt from like. 80s i believe and it was a single stitch and it was like a new old stock never had been worn that i picked up and that did sell but um okay can you explain that to the listeners the single stitch yeah so like uh, allegedly the single stitches uh are kind of kind of denote their their how vintage they are there was a it's not like they abruptly stopped the single stitch is referring to the stitch in the sleeve uh shirts of today they have two stitches uh, apparently back in the day, they would have one stitch. And over the course of probably a decade, they kind of phased out the single stitch to a, a double stitch. It's not just like one day they decided, so you can uh, age the, the clothing by that. It's just kind of a guesstimate. Um, and then it's also just kind of a, a, a fad keyword. You know, if you can find a shirt that's got a single stitch, it doesn't really matter. But to the collectors, they want to see that. They're searching that. They're searching single stitch to find their vintage clothing. And that's just all the rage nowadays. Um, it just refers to the stitching on the stitch. 
Right. So for the listeners, um, the it's like the double stitch is like railroad tracks. It's just um, you could just look at it and see there's just two stitches running parallel. And that's um, that gives the garment more durability so it doesn't tear or rip or come apart over time. So that's what you don't want. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, you want the single. And I mean, that's going to be tedious looking through all the t-shirts and looking for that. But, you know, you're looking for that needle in a haystack. And that's what we are driven to do as hunter gatherer resellers yes. Is, yes. is look for those items. So um, maybe we get a t-shirt expert on here at some point. So if there's one out there listening, um, let me know and we'll get you on to talk about it. Cause that's another category I'd like to learn more about. I see so many t-shirts, but it's like, it just seems overwhelming. I want to go through things fast, like, like sweaters. I like, because I can look for the cashmere. I can look for the, um, you know, the thick cotton polo yeah. sportsman ones. And like, you yeah. can look by texture and, or I look for, um, sequins or, um, things like that, that are, you don't have to touch every single one of them. You can just look for that texture. Right. But t-shirts, I'm sorry, they all look the same. <laughs> and then it's hard to find. You got to fight all the other people because I think a lot of the younger generation that's getting into eBay, that's basically all they know or all they care about. Oh, uh, you're going to be hard pressed to find anything valuable at the thrift store. It's already gone. You know, they sit there and hawk that stuff out. So, like I said before, I let them have that stuff. But if I come across it online and I can get it cheaply. I'll do that, but uh, or unless it's like a garage sale or an estate yep. sale where, yes. um, you know, they they just can't look through everything yes. at estate sales and mark every single thing up. So you might see, um, you know, Gen Xers die every day, and um, you might see stuff like this where you know somebody's kept all their concert T-shirts, and um, there it is right there, and the estate sales I go to, all the clothing is usually one price. Like, you know, everything's $3, coats are $5 or something like that. And um, I'll tell you a little secret. Over the summer, I did work part-time for an estate sale company. Okay. Um, I thought well, that'd be a great a great side gig right. and out and see all this stuff, learn more. It was really like, how can I learn more? And um, I went, I did, I did it for about a month. And uh, it was too much heavy lifting for me. I wanted them to use me for my brain, not for yeah. my phone. <laughs> so, um, but the clothing was overwhelming. It was yeah. just, you know, yeah. this one place. And I'm like, I'm like telling them, oh, this would sell for so much more. You should price this higher. They did not want to hear that. They're yeah. like, no, all the clothing's the same price. We don't have time to do that. Just yeah. get it done. You know, just organize it. And then we got to move into the basement where there's 8,000 department 56 things that I yep. had to look at price. And anyway, so um, that's kind of their mentality because the estate sales, they only have two or three days to get it out of there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they know you're going to find stuff that's more yep. valuable, yep. but, you know, they, they're going to mark up the crystal and the silver and the dinner yeah. and the artifacts and the uh, giant cross stitch things hanging on the wall, like the obvious stuff. Yeah. They don't go into the, the detail of every single item. And that's why you see people like George Kelly. I found this ring at a garage sale for a dollar and sold it for 500, you know, because, because yeah. <laughs> um, people just don't have time. They're overwhelmed. Yeah. And um, that's where we come in. Yeah. I'll find myself at estate sales and I like, I don't beeline for the basement, but once I'm done in the main floor, I, I'll go in the cellar and uh, I, I'll try to find something that was overlooked by the estate sale company because they, they can't catch everything. They don't catch everything. And right. uh, sometimes I'll find some good stuff. I like selling functional clothing, like up here in the, in the North, it's real cold. So uh, Carhartt coveralls, Carhartt jackets, gloves, uh, all things like that, that are functional. Um, th those sell you know pretty well as well. Okay. Well, great. Um, well, I told you this would go by fast. So yeah. we have made it to the end. Did sure. you want to answer a personal question? Yeah. So uh, some of the podcasts I like to listen to um, are yours, of course. I listen to Pro Flipper a lot, eBay for Business, Pure Hustle Podcast. I love to be selling is one of my favorite ones. And then I also listen to a lot of Joe Rogan and Theo Vaughn as well. I'm a, okay. I'm a comedy fan as well. But um, yeah. Okay. 
Great. Um, Well, this has been very educational and you don't sound like you've only been doing this for six or seven months. I mean, yeah, like I said, I've been buying on eBay for many years and I grew up in the thrift store. Uh, My mom would buy things out of necessity, not ever to flip things. But uh, I've always been a bit of a hustler when it comes to Craigslist and marketplace. And uh, now I've really tried to harness the power of eBay and I'm trying to make myself as knowledgeable as possible. I'd like to do this full time eventually someday. But I've got to build up this wealth of knowledge so that uh, I don't have to search every single item and uh, things like that. You know, full time uh, is tough. Sure, uh, that it is. And a lot of sellers out there that are full time, they may have a spouse that holds a regular job, or yeah. um, you know, maybe they're into retirement and they're getting their retirement money. Um, you know, because this business is so up and down. Yep, it's just not predictable. And trust me, I've been there with, am I going to be able to make my bills this month? You know, I need those sales to, to pay my mortgage or whatever it was. Right. And it can be very stressful, very nerve wracking. So a lot right. of people do have something, you know, another part-time, something that's steady. Yeah. That, uh, they can do in combination with this because um, I don't care how experienced you are and how long you've been doing it or how much inventory you have, there are going to be slow times. And either you just have to be okay with that um, (laughs) or um, figure out something else to do to complement it because it can be very stressful. Yeah, definitely. So don't beat yourself up if you don't get into full time as fast as you want to. (laughs) Yeah, no, my my nine to five is, uh, I'm perfectly content there. Um, But like I said, instead of doing a backbreaking second job, it's nice to be able to use my brain and and, and eBay to, to bring in a little bit of side income there. So your wife, is she on board with all this? Yeah, absolutely. She uh, she works full time from home. She's uh, worked for a background, background check company, but you, uh, she does all my shipping and stuff. I, I'll typically have to box it up, but she will print my label and uh, arrange the shipping, usually post office. But uh, she's my shipping department. And um, also, she she's my realist. She, I'm a dreamer and she's a realist. So she kind of tries to keep me together. <laughs> that's that's a good combination. She kind of um, keeps your feet on the ground. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. How much you know, did you pay for this? Are you right, sure it's valuable? Like, but when you get two, two dreamers together who have entrepreneurial mindsets, um, yes. you can just be all over the place. So yep. <laughs> that's good yep. that she keeps you grounded and keeps you in the real world. So. Yes, I appreciate her for that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I can't wait to see what unfolds for you because you have some really specialized knowledge. So we'll be looking for your sales on the group. Definitely. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks again, Will, for making time to come on the podcast and sharing all of that fun and unusual information. On to today's trivia question. We mentioned Bakelite. When was it made and what kinds of things are made from it? Here's a few seconds to think it over. made from synthetic components, Bakelite was developed by Leo Bakeland, and that's spelled B-A-E-K-E-L-A-N-D, in Yonkers, New York, in 1907 and patented on December 7, 1909. Many companies stopped using Bakelite in the early 1940s as the need for World War II related products took hold. By the end of the war, new technologies in the world of plastics had made Bakelite obsolete. The height of Bakelite jewelry was in the late 1930s, up until the end of the Art Deco period. Compared to the other plastics that have since replaced it, Bakelite was expensive, fragile, and hard to repair. Items made from Bakelite include jewelry, 
telephones, radio casings, handles for items such as hairbrushes, mirrors, and combs, handles for flatware, other kitchen items, toys, pipe stems, buttons, and on and on. Bakelite was touted as the material of a thousand uses. So that is your quick and dirty explanation of Bakelite. There are entire books written on this. So um, if you want to know more, Google is your friend. Okay, next week, my guest is Alicia, who works a full-time job in addition to her part-time eBay business. She has a great eye for picking and has scored some really profitable items. So make sure you come back next week to meet Leisha. And thank you for spending the last hour with us. Make it a great week on eBay. Bye-bye for now.